0: clear it too much. Um, But we've been going through this series called Blessed. And uh, no pun intended, but I hope it's been a blessing to you. I had to say that at least once. (laughs) Okay, so this particular, um, so this is our last series, then we're going to begin a a new series next week on the way we worship. And I'm excited about that. But this week is called The Blessing and the Birthright. And I want to take my text from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17. And we'll start off reading down to verse 23. Ephesians 1 and 17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is Paul's prayer request for the Gentile believers. He said, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him that fills all in all. So we're going to come back to that text in a little bit. But now I want to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. I know that you're familiar with what a birthright was. But we're going to talk about that a little bit more in depth this morning. Because there was a special and unique blessing in in the birthright. So as you probably know, the birthright, which was the right of the firstborn was a right to dominion and a double portion of what everyone else received. So, you know, for example, our pastor, Pastor Gary, has three kids. In that sense, it would, I don't know if the birthright ever went to the daughter, but it would have went to Jude in, in that case. So it would have been the right of the firstborn son to receive the right of inheritance. Not only, so whatever Kira and Titus got, Jude would get double that. You'd be pretty happy about that. And he'd be, really, he'd be really happy about that. And, uh, and, of course, we don't really do that anymore. If you know, At least I, I hope you don't give one kid more than the others, that your will is split out among all of your kids equally. Um, but that's your business, not mine. But in biblical times, uh, whoever was the firstborn got the right of dominion and the right of a double portion. So in the case of Israel's 12 sons, that should have been Reuben. Reuben should have been the one whom his brothers praised. He should have been the tribe that Messiah came from. He should have been the tribe um, that had you know, all these blessings and had the, the biggest inheritance in, in, the, in the land of promise. But Reuben committed sin with his father's concubine, Bilhah, by going in into her. It's always a really bad idea. And so for a while, it seemed as though Reuben would get away with it. <clears throat> he excelled like a firstborn son should excel. <clears throat> Matter of fact, you can read the story of Joseph And how, you know, it was Reuben that spoke up and tried to protect his younger brother Joseph from being sold into slavery. It wasn't the other ten brothers. It was Reuben. So he had had somewhat of a leadership role early on. But fast forward 40 years later and Jacob is on his deathbed. And Jacob says this when he gets to Reuben. He begins to bless his kids and he starts with Reuben first. Genesis 49 verse 3. He says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength." The excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed and you defiled it, he went up to my couch. Reuben would no longer excel from that day forward. He lost his birthright. As a matter of fact, whenever you read and study the tribe of Reuben, you'll find that no judge, no prophet, no ruler, no king, or no prince ever came from the tribe of Reuben. As a matter of fact, no person of any renown, of any, of, of any mention in the Bible except for two men, Dathan and Abiram, who are noted for their rebellion against Moses with Korah. Furthermore, Reuben's tribe chose a settlement on the other side of Jordan. A further indication of the loss of godly influence he had on the other tribes to which his birthright should have entitled him to. So if Reuben lost it, who did the birthright go to? And that's a good question, because you've got to really dig in the Scriptures to find this answer. Now, before I tell you that, Scripture tells an interesting and heartbreaking story of Jacob's favorite son, Joseph. You all know it. It's the story of how Joseph was sold into Egypt. And the 10,000-foot view of that story goes something like this, that Jacob made Joseph a coat of many colors. And one day, uh, Joseph asked to go check on his brothers. Joseph was asked to go check on his brothers in Shechem, which is where they were supposed to be feeding their father's flock. But he gets there and he looks around. He can't find them. And somebody tells him, well, I saw them going in the Dothan. So they were probably where they shouldn't have been. But so he goes there and he finds them. And his brothers are like, look, this dreamer comes. God God's gave or he's, he's got all these dreams of us bowing down to him and we hate him. And after he told them his dreams, they hated him some more. And so his brothers conspired against him to slay him. But instead of ending up throwing him, but instead they ended up throwing him into this deep pit and selling him to some Ishmaelites who, further, who later on sold him into Egypt. In Genesis chapter 37 verse 36 ends like this. And the Midianites sold Joseph into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. And when you get to the last verse of Genesis 37, it stops in the middle of the story. And it tells, I mean, literally it stops right smack in the middle of the story of Joseph, almost like a to-be-continued episode. And it stops to tell us this strange tale of Jacob's fourth son, whose name was Judah. And the tale goes like this. This is the cliff notes from Genesis 38. It says, you know, basically that Judah took a Canaanite woman whose name was Shua to wife. And she bore him three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And, and Judah took a wife for his firstborn son, Ur, whose name was Tamar. But Ur was very wicked before the Lord, and the Lord slew him. And so Onan, the secondborn son, was supposed to take his brother's wife, go in into her and give her a child by him and raise up seed to his brother because that was the law of the land in those days. But he would not do that, and so God slew him also. So now two of his firstborn, two of his sons have died, and all he has left is this third son whose name was Shelah. So Judah sends Tamar back to her father's house, and he, and he lies to her, and he says something like this. He says, why don't you just remain a widow in your father's house until my third son, Sheila, is old enough to be your husband. And then I'll give him to you. But Judah was afraid Sheila was, would also die. And it was because, you know, she's, he tried to give two kids to this woman now. And, and they both have ended up dead. So he's like, this is a bad omen or something. So this woman, I'm going to keep my third kid away from her. And so, so Judah was afraid that she would die. And was planning on leaving her in her father's house there forever. Some years pass, we don't know how long exactly, but one day Tamar hears Judah is in town. And so she disguises herself as a prostitute and seduces Judah to hire her out. Very careful to keep her veil over her face so he does not recognize who he's with. So Judah gives, so Judah gives Tamar his signet ring, his bracelets, and his staff as a pledge that he'll bring the goat that he promised to her as payment. So he's like, I don't have any cash on me. I don't have any silver or gold, but here, I'll give you this goat, but I don't have the goat with me. So here's my signet ring, my bracelet, and my staff. You can keep that until I bring back the goat. Meanwhile, when Judah comes back, he can't find any prostitute. And, And so he's like, you know, where was that woman that was here? And people are like, there was no prostitute in this place. And so he leaves it alone, thinking that whoever this woman was, she must have just stolen those things from him and hoping That his secret does not ever get discovered. Fast forward three months and word gets back around to Judah that Tamar is pregnant by quote unquote playing the harlot. So this is interesting because you would think that Judah being also guilty of that very sin would have some form of compassion toward her. But these are his words. He said, bring her in and burn her alive. Imagine that, like the men in Jesus' day that knew where to find that woman of ill repute and knew when to catch her in the act. It does make you wonder about that. But but Judah, you know, he didn't have any compassion towards her. And so, so Tamar throws down at that moment his signet ring, his staff, and his bracelet. I would have loved to see the look on Judah's face when she did that. And she says these words, by the man whose these are, am I with child. Discern, I pray thee, whose these are, the signet, the bracelet, and the staff. And before all of his brethren, he's humiliated. And Judah acknowledges his sin and finally gives her Sheila his son, as he promised her years earlier. And the story ends like this. In Genesis 37, verse 27, it says this, And it came to pass at the time of her travail that, behold, twins were in her womb. Remember, this is Judah's kids. And it came to pass when she travailed that one put out his hand, and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came to pass as he drew his hand back, That, behold, his brother came out, and she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee, therefore his name was called Phares. Phares means breach. means he breached the order of birth when it should have been the other child that was born. But instead, Phares breached that. Now remember, as I said, that she's pregnant with Judah's kids. Now Phares became the unlikely firstborn. That is extremely important because Tamar has just given birth to the lineage of the Messiah. As a matter of fact, whenever you read the book of Ruth, chapter 4, the account of the lineage of King David starts with Phares from this very story. In Genesis 4 and verse 18, it says, this, Now these are the generations of Phares. Phares begat Hezron, Hezron begat Ram, Ram begat Minadab, Minadab begat Nation, Nation begat Salmon. Sammon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And with that, the story of Joseph picks right back up in the middle of the story in Genesis 39 and leaves that other story alone as if nothing ever happened. And it makes you wonder, why did God do that for? Now, why would the author stop in the middle of one story to tell another? Because I don't find that anywhere else in Scripture where that actually happens. And here's what I believe, because the stories are also about who received the birthright when Reuben lost it. Look at First Chronicles 5 and verse 1. It says this, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the sons of Israel. Sorry, unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. And the genealogy is not to be reckoned after his birth. For Judah prevailed above his brethren. And of him came the chief ruler, but the birthright was Joseph's. So the birthright, which entailed both dominion and a double portion of inheritance, was split up between Judah, who got the dominion, and Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who literally got a double portion. Joseph got a double portion because he had two sons. And thus, that would be the double portion. But dominion went to Judah. And so Jacob, when he's on his deathbed, in Genesis 49 and 10, he says this. When he gets to Judah, the fourth son, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now that was speaking of the Messiah. Shiloh was the Messiah, the peace giver. Every king came from David's lineage right up to the Messiah. And so the dominion of the scepter symbolizing rulership would go to Judah. That's why Isaiah 9 and 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Government, rulership. He's, he was king of Israel. Even it was written above his cross, king of the Jews. But he's more than king of the Jews, he's king of the world. He's king of the Gentiles and the Jews. Amen. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Aren't you thankful for that baby that was born in Bethlehem? So dominion, power, and authority went to the lineage of Judah, Christ being the fulfillment of that. And Genesis stops in the middle of a very righteous man, in the the middle of a story of a very righteous man whose name was Joseph, to tell us the story of another unrighteous man whose name was Judah who got something that he didn't deserve, which was the Messiah. Because it's talking about how the birthright was split up two ways. And that's why it stops in the middle of the story of Joseph and tells you the story of Judah because it's saying Joseph got what he deserved because he endured all that, but Judah got something he didn't deserve. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like the grace of God to me, my friend. It's not about how good Judah was to earn his dominion. It's not about birthright or or birth order as if progeny had anything to do with it. It's about the grace of God. It's about grace. So God chose the unlikeliest candidate in Judah to give back what the original firstborn, Reuben, had lost. Does that sound familiar? Praise God. Because that's exactly what Christ did for you and for me. Matter of fact, Colossians 1 and 15 says it like this. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. As God, he's the image of the invisible God. As man, he's the firstborn of every creature. Firstborn, that makes him my elder brother. And he got the dominion that Adam lost. God looked at Adam in, in, uh, in Genesis 1, and 28. And he said, you're going to have dominion over the fish of the sea, fowl of the air, and over everything that moves on the earth. If it moves, you've got dominion over it. And Adam took his dominion, literally the keys to the earth. And he gave it to Satan. And Satan had it until God came in the form of a man and won back what Adam had lost. And now as our elder brother, he's got the birthright and he's got the dominion and he's gave it back to the church of the living God. And so Paul said, you are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Let me tell you something. God knew what was going to happen before it ever happened. And Genesis 38 about that story of Judah is also about how God can take a mess and turn it into a miracle. How could God be in the midst of all of that? And, and you get the answer whenever that firstborn son sticks his little hand out of the womb of his mama. And that midwife ties a little scarlet thread around his finger. And he pulls it back in. And Phares preaches forth. You know what? There was a scarlet thread that was written around us at Calvary one day. Because our first born brother came out of the womb and said, I'm going to take the punishment. I'm going to take the sin. I'm going to take the crime. I'm going to take the death. And I'm going to lay down on the grave. And on the third day, I'm going to get out of that grave. And I'm going to be victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And that's why Jesus could say, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Amen. God already had all power, but he took what power Satan had. He took that dominion back and he gave it to the church. Church. Amen. Amen. And so you are blessed because you are part of the church of the firstborn. Amen. Praise God. He's more than just God. You say, well, God covers everything. No, God didn't cover everything. God didn't cover man. He wasn't man until he became a man in Bethlehem's manger. And that's why Paul could say this in Ephesians 1. That's what this whole passage is about. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? To usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which He wrought in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. You know Christ is at the right hand of God. That's as you know the seat of power and authority. Uh, it's, it's a place of dominion and he has given that name to his church. And we walk in that name and we walk in that power and we walk in that dominion. Because we lost whenever we were born in this world. David said we were born into sin and we were shaped in iniquity. But there was a God in heaven who tied a scarlet thread around our fingers at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And took our punishment on his own shoulders. Amen. And now he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Aren't you thankful for that today? Amen. I'm done. Musicians come. Let's just stand to our feet right now. Let's just lift our hands to heaven. Let's thank God for this revelation that I'm part of the church of the firstborn. Amen. That he's gave us back dominion and authority and power that we lost in the Garden of Eden. It's all come back to us now. Hallelujah! You know, we ought to worship like we've got authority and dominion. Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Come on, let your voices out for a moment. Hallelujah, Jesus. We bless your name today, God.